Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Everybody's favorite Aspie climate puppet is back in the news. The ghoul that sailed the ocean blue in the name of climate change, which required a flight of a couple captains to sail the boat back, which kind of defeats the purpose. Well, she got tangled up in a bit of a mess. Greta Thunberg, remember her? Um, The one who spoke to the UN and said, how dare you? Yeah, well, apparently in, in, in India, there's a protest going on. And it's over three farmer uh, trade uh, acts that have happened. I'm not going to get too much into the weeds on these. There's the Farmers Produce Trade and Commerce Act, which expand the scope of trade areas of farmers produce from select areas to any place of production, collection, aggregation. It allowed electronic trading and e-commerce of scheduled farmers produce Uh, prohibits state governments from levying any market fee, tax, or levy on farmers, traders, electronic trading platforms. Um, There was also the Farmers Empowerment and Protection Agreement on Price Assurance and the Essential Commodities Act. Well, all of these things were things that were supposed to be beneficial to the small farmer because the farmers would be able to operate right alongside the big guys, they can sell to bigger companies. They can sell to outside companies. And now in the beginning, uh, hearing something like this years ago, my conservative side would say, hey, that's great. Free market. You get to play with the big guys. Now it's I get a little skeptical when we got these businesses that are basically selling out our rights. Could it be that India is opening up that market for the global union? so that these farmers can operate in concert with these big companies who are basically pushing for the Great Reset and the UN Global Union. I don't know, but it sounded on paper to me like they were getting rid of regulation, getting rid of government oversight, and unions felt like they were getting squashed in this. Well, Greta Thunberg decided to stick her nose in it. I don't know what this has to do with climate change, but she tweeted out a link to a Google Doc that she had. Apparently, Rihanna, the singer Rihanna, is all in this because, you know, Rihanna and Nicki Minaj, who MSNBC decided would be some words of wisdom to uh, quote, you know, as far as her lyrics go, um, they're the, the people to look towards. They're the influencers. And they were a part of the hashtag Ask India Why, the global farmer's strike. And she put out this packet which was, she deleted it really quickly because it was a Google Doc. It, it basically had everything you needed to do. Um, it told you urgent actions. Tweet storm on the 4th and 5th of February from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Share solidarity photo video messages. Um, write to us at some email address. Um, she basically had different things about how you can march. Uh, there was different uh, uh, different drafts of of emails that were uh, you could plug in your name plug in your country and it will chastise the indian government um it gave you it actually gave you information of things she was supposed to tweet so you found out that she's not the brainchild obviously we knew that but she is uh being puppeted by an organization behind the scenes uh if you remember extinction rebellion the group that was over in england doing all these protests and, uh, you, you know, for, for the climate and global warming and global cooling or whatever the hell it is. Um, they're all in on this. And India's not real thrilled about it. <laughs> they're not fine with the fact that India decided to, or, you know, uh, Greta Thunberg decided to stick her nose into India's policies. This is from Breitbart. Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg drew the ire of police prosecutors in India after she used social media to offer running commentary and advice on violent protests by the country's farmers. She quickly deleted a message that detailed a list of, quote, suggested posts about the ongoing civil disorder, according to a report from the New York Post, which her critics say reveals she is being coached on what positions to take by outsiders. The list gave series of tips on what to post on social media, 
asking her to also repost and tag other celebrities tweeting about it, including pop star Rihanna and some porn star Mia Khalifa. So, yeah, she is the puppet. But remember, it's not about climate change because you don't see her out there saying India's government needs to get its climate in order because they're dumping almost as badly as China is. Of course, China, nothing wrong with them. They get to operate unabated. You know, they get to have pea soup smog that they have to wear these masks all day like we're wearing now because of the coronavirus. All of this is for, uh, you know, the, the hypocrisy that they live on where America must be chastised. America must take the fact that we've outdone the Paris Accords on our own without being in the Paris Accords and installed a new leader and its climate czar needs to put us back in the Paris Climate Accord, which is more detrimental to the environment than it was without us being in it. But yeah, that is the hypocrisy because the climate change uh, platform isn't about climate change. Now, by the way, did you know Greta took time out of her stint as being a Swedish black metal singer to conduct this attack on India? Somebody made that. I thought that was brilliant. So I had to throw that in there since we're talking about Greta Thunberg. But the climate change uh, tyrants, they're hypocritical. John Kerry. John Kerry was busted in Iceland receiving an award and had to explain why it's okay for him to fly around on a private jet for climate change. On that issue, pollution, I understand that you came here with a private jet. Uh, Is that an environmental way to travel? If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle. Uh, I negotiated the Paris Accords uh, for the United States. I've been involved in this fight for years. I negotiated with President Xi to bring President Xi to the table so we could get Paris. And uh, I believe the time it takes me to get somewhere. I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. But what I'm doing, almost full-time, is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, uh, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, uh, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. That's the mindset of the hypocrisy in which they live. Bill de Blasio, years ago, a couple years ago, asked about why, if he's talking for emissions Uh, restrictions. Why is it that he gets to drive his car in a motorcade down to the gym? Listen to him talk about, well, you know, I'm just needed. I I have to have this because I am the important one. Broad strokes for the plan. They they could have wide impact. These are civic decisions. Uh, But there's also personal things people can do. You talk a lot about some of the things you do your whole life. You recycle. uh, Your staff has said you go around City Hall turning off lights and so on. Um, But I also do need to ask, uh, you live on the Upper East Side in Gracie Mansion. Uh, Most days, or several days a week, a city uh, SUV drives you 11 miles to a gym in Brooklyn, as opposed to one that's close to where you currently reside. Uh, What sort of environmentally responsible example are you setting there, taking this drive in a car, as opposed to going someplace nearby? So the example we're setting first and foremost, let's let's look at this exact question before us. The plans we have put forward we're acting on will reduce emissions 30% in all of New York City by 2030. Uh, That's where we make huge change. Uh, To the question you asked, look, wherever I go in New York City, 
whether I take a subway, whether I go nearby or farther away to another borough. Uh, I have a security detail that follows me in their cars either way. So let's be clear, this is just part of my life. I, I come from that neighborhood in Brooklyn. Uh, that's my home. I go there on a regular basis to stay connected to where I come from and not be in the bubble that I think for a lot of politicians is a huge problem. Uh, but the fact is that those cars and that security detail are part of the life of being mayor in New York City. They're so needed. They're so important. They don't need to worry about living the standards they demand and mandate of others. The coronavirus lockdowns were a prime example of that. If you've looked to government as the answer and government is the stalwart of doing things right for the people, you have to realize they don't live by their standards. They didn't during the entire thing. Listen to this clip with Bill de Blasio talking about why it's okay for him to go to the gym while all the gyms are closed. I did not for a moment think there was anything problematic because I knew the dynamics. And again, I have to stay healthy so I can make the decisions for the people of this city. Then there was the report of Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done at a salon when the salons were closed and the audacity of this chick to turn around and blame the salon owners. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi apparently broke the rules by visiting a San Francisco salon for a private indoor appointment with a stylist. Critics say the special treatment is unfair and a violation of the city's health order. KTV's Jana Katsuyama joins us now with a closer look at this situation. Jana. Heather, Speaker Pelosi's office said that she did nothing wrong, but the salon owner who released the video said when she saw Speaker Pelosi inside the salon, she felt it was like a slap in the face. The owner of the e-salon released video from inside the Union Street business in San Francisco. The owner, Erica Kias, says Monday afternoon House Speaker Nancy Pelosi can be seen walking in a cape from the washing area with wet hair and a face covering apparently pulled down. Two other people wearing masks appear in the video with her. Kia said she had received a text message from a stylist Sunday night alerting her to the speaker's appointment, and she called it a slap in the face. Oh, I've been there many over the years. I've been there many times. I appreciate, I appreciate the question, and let me just say this. I take responsibility for trusting uh, the word of a neighborhood salon that I've been to over the years many times, and that um, when they said, well, we're able to accommodate people one person at a time and that we can set up that time i trusted that as it turns out it was a setup so i take responsibility for falling for a setup and i think that they owe uh, that this salon owes me an apology for setting up now i just had my hair washed i don't wear a mask when i'm washing my hair do you wear a mask when you're washing your hair i always have a mask i always have a mask for me, for the people I'm, I'm encountering, but for my family as well. But I don't wear it when I'm getting my hair washed. And that picture is when I just came out of the, the bowl of getting my hair washed. Then there was the mayor of D.C. who decided she was going to attend an event for the Kamala Harris uh, Biden uh, inauguration. And she explains why it's an essential service. Delaware. Um, questions have arisen uh Talk about it in respect to your um, uh, risk, list of states that are risky and, 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 and why you went there. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So Sam has asked me uh, about a, a trip that I took on Saturday night to congratulate the Biden-Harris team on a historic victory uh, and celebrate for Washingtonians what will be a change at the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> And I've been very proud to do that. Was it essential? Absolutely. Let me, let me just say this, Sam. I do a lot of things to advance the interests of the District of Columbia. And some of them are formal and some of them are informal, but all of them are necessary. Yes, yes. Okay. Then you had the mayor of Austin. He went down to a timeshare in Mexico and he turned around and said, Oh, I'm, you know, because he was telling everybody in a video in his timeshare in Mexico, hey, happy holidays, everybody. Don't get together with your family and friends and celebrate because we need to stay six feet apart and wear a mask at all times while he's hanging out maskless in Mexico with his family. Um, he got busted and he had to apologize. Now, I've been in the news today. Uh, the first week of November, my daughter got married here in Austin. 
and like many other brides, uh, she had to cancel her original plans uh, in order to follow the rules. Uh, and instead, uh, she had a, a small, mostly uh, family, very private uh, wedding. Sarah was beautiful. The wedding was beautiful and intimate. And most importantly, she was, she was happy. Uh, afterwards, uh, a small, mostly family group uh, traveled to Mexico. I want you to know that I regret that travel. I wouldn't travel now. I didn't over Thanksgiving and I won't over Christmas. Uh, and, and no one should. Uh, uh, everyone should be avoiding non-essential travel now because we're in the, the orange uh, area. Now, I fear that the travel that I did, which took place uh, during uh, a safer period, uh, followed the color-coded rules, could lead uh, to some taking uh, riskier behavior now. I recognize that my travel set a bad example. Uh, I recognize that the fact that I took that trip and at the same time was continuing to urge people uh, to be cautious is confusing. I know that others have chosen not to travel uh, under the same circumstances. And I know that in my position, I need to send a clearer message. I'm sorry I took that trip. Uh, it was a lapse in judgment. And I want you to know that I apologize. And of course, everybody remembers Governor Gavin Newsom, Mr. Climate change himself, he's in California. He decides, uh, I'm going to go to the French Laundry, this really expensive Michelin-starred restaurant, and I'm going to dine and with my buddies. And, oh, I got busted. Somebody had a camera. I didn't have a mask. We're not six feet apart. Yeah, mask and uh, social distancing for the, not for me. And he had to apologize. That a few weeks ago, uh, I was asked to go to a friend's 50th birthday. Uh, my wife and I, a friend that I've known for almost 20 years and, uh, and a friend that had, well, put a lot of time and energy into his 50th birthday. It was in Napa, which was in the orange status, relatively loose compared to some other counties. Uh, it was to be an outdoor uh, uh, restaurant. And we started the, well, the program started at 4 o'clock. It was one of those early reservations. I got there a little bit late at 4.30. Uh, and as soon as I sat down at uh, the larger table, I realized it was a little larger group uh, than I had anticipated. Uh, and I made a bad mistake. Instead of sitting down, uh, I should have stood up and walked back, got in my car and drove back uh, to my house. Instead, I chose to sit there with my wife uh, and a number of other couples that were outside the household. And you can quibble about the guidelines, et cetera, et cetera, but the spirit of what I'm preaching all the time uh, was contradicted, and I got to own that. And so I want to apologize to you uh, because I need to preach and practice, not just preach and not practice. And I've done my best to do that. Uh, we're all human. We all fall short sometimes. Uh, we've been out, and I think, for three times since. In fact, I know it's been three times because I remember all of those dinners very, very vividly uh, since February, just three times, uh, twice with my wife by myself outdoors, and then this one occasion uh, with a larger group. And there were just a few extra people there uh, than the spirit of what I am promoting. Uh, and so if we're going to minimize mixing, you got to you got to own up to that. So uh, I just want folks to know that paid for our dinner. Uh, and we, uh, you know, we had an early dinner, but it didn't matter. Uh, I shouldn't have been there. I should have turned back around. And uh, so when that happens, you got to you pay the price, but you also own the mistake and you don't ever make it again. And you have my word on that. Because that's how they operate. That's what tyrants do. They don't live by their own standards. If they believed it, they would. Then they've all acted this way. I mean, we were told to stay in our homes and, uh, you know, deal while they're going out, getting hair and nails done. You know, the mayor of Chicago, she's getting her hair done when she looks like Beetlejuice. You've got the uh, in Arizona. No, is in Texas. Uh, the Beaumont mayor getting her nails done. That's OK. 
So, oh, by the way, Press Secretary Saki, Jen Saki, she's circling back. She always has to circle back. Remember that from the last podcast? How's that coronavirus going on? Do you have any updates? Uh, I did ask her team about this. You or someone else may have asked about this the other day. And I think I have something on it here. One moment. Uh, <clears throat> thanks for your patience. Lots to say about COVID. No doubt about it. Um, so, <clears throat> let's see. Let me, let me, let me um, talk to our team about it. All right. No answer there. How about for the migrants, you know, the illegals that, you know, they, they just migrate north for the winter. They don't ever really migrate back south for the summertime or anything. But what about COVID and the catch and release program for the migrants? Because, you know, you get your questions pre-screened. You should probably already know the answer. What, what is being done? What could be done to provide COVID testing? to migrants at the border because right now the U.S. Customs and Border Protection is saying that they're having to catch and release some migrants without giving them any kind of, of COVID test uh, before they're entering the community. So what what is being done? What could be done? Are you, are you suggesting they're letting people in across the border without testing them? Or to tell me a little bit more. They're, they're what being released. They're having to, because of the uh, executive order that the president signed earlier this week. Which, which executive? Which one? Rescinding uh, President Trump's policy, which stopped catch and release. Um, they're saying that they're having to provide, they're having to release some migrants into the community before they know for sure that they do not have COVID. And they're worried that it could... Uh, spread in the community. Is there anything being done at the, at the federal level uh, to make sure that this is not contributing to the spread of coronavirus in this country? Well, certainly the reason we've put in a number of protections uh, in terms of travel and otherwise is to keep the American people safe. But I, I haven't seen that report. I can't validate the accuracy of it. But I'd certainly point you to the Department of Homeland Security for more specifics about what's happening. Well, while uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki is fumbling for her information, Remember, Kaylee McEnany, uh, Trump's press secretary, was firing off facts left and right without any paperwork, straight off the top of her head. Jen Psaki is circling back through her paperwork over and over, trying to find the words to say, let's get a real coronavirus update from hip-hop star Pitbull. Hey, in this day and age, I'm hoping that people see as quick as you get it. It's like dope money. Come quick, leave quick. So when it comes to this technology, exactly what it is, you got instant gratification thing, you can touch as many people with it as quick as they want to go, whoop, they can pull it from it. Yeah. And right now we're talking about, are we talking about a virus? A virus, that's what we talked about, SIRS, MERS, BIRD, swine, Ebola, now Corona. Like, come on, folks, I mean, you got to really, you got to read the tea leaves, bro. You got the devil's in the details. And with that said is, if you look at the recovery numbers on what we're talking about, I don't know what it is, but I guess the flu went on vacation on this year. Heart attacks we, went on vacation, vacation this year. Everything went on vacation this year when it came to, I'm talking about, oh, you, you know, oh. what we're going through right now. Right. Okay. And let's just call it spade a spade. And the reason I can have this conversation is because my family comes from communism. They fled communism. They had everything taken away from them. Everybody got murdered. Everybody got killed. And... That's the reason me being a first generation Cuban American, or maybe us being first generation Cuban Americans, I look at freedom and I appreciate that. Shit. I appreciate opportunity. I appreciate anything that you give me. All I need is a little slip, partner, and I got you. And that comes from the fact that when a Castro took over everything, and I'm looking at what's going on right now, the only person here that's hot, 38 hot, is Castro. He's going, y'all did it with a virus? Y'all took over the world with a virus? Y'all gotta be kidding me. He had missiles pointed to the United States of America during the Russian Missile Crisis, wow. during the Bay of Pigs and what they went, went on through. So this shit is deep. The only thing is, is do you want to realize how deep it is? You know, that's, that's the way I look at this shit. And even going into this, I don't know if y'all know about this, but might as well put it out there, especially in y'all show, because y'all got folks that need this more than anybody. We all need it. There's a, there's a a rehearsal that went on that went on before this whole shit is called Event 201, October 18th, 2019. Came out. 
It was ran by the John Hopkins University, which is in cahoots with Bill Gates, Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, Event 201, we talked about that. That was the rehearsal for the coronavirus. He understands where we are in the authoritarian realm. He understands that we are in a situation where it's being used for other means. All while Jen Psaki is is fumbling around, circling back through her paperwork. You know... She's going to tell us about how Lord Biden is going to rule over us with his stimulus package. The president has been clear that our risk is not having a package that's too big. It's having a package that's too small. I think Jen Psaki likes the small packages. But you know who likes the big packages? And you know who's very, very familiar with big packages? That's Biden. He knows something about big presidential packages. The timeless advice from Teddy Roosevelt. Speak softly and carry a big stick. End of quote. I promise you, the president has a big stick. I promise you. Yeah, that big stick might be Barry Sotero's knocker, but it could also be the wielding of governmental power by the deep state bureaucracy, political party establishments, and current leadership, and a co-op with big business. Every conservative must reevaluate how they view free market capitalism because it's not what we're seeing right now. And they also have to recognize there's a push to squash your belief system. Redefine it as white supremacy, white nationalism, and domestic terrorism. This is Adrian Slade. Just think about the turn of events that led to all this. You know, first there was Agenda 21, which we knew decades ago that they were going to push for. And it seemed like they weren't making, you know, the bullet point uh, markings. They weren't hitting the, uh, the requirements in the time that they set about. So suddenly there was Agenda 2030. And then as we came up on 2020, that's when things started to move. So you had the World Economic Forum get together with uh, John Hopkins University get together with Bill and the Melinda Gates Foundation. And in New York, that's what Pitbull was talking about. Event 201 was kicked off. This is back in October of 2019. Now, Event 201, we talked about this back in March, you know, uh, back when the shutdown was beginning. The shutdown started with Harvard. It started with South by Southwest, which is big tech and, and music and entertainment and big industry getting together for big conferences Those all shut down. Harvard shutting down. That led to the NBA shutting down. That led to schools and states closing up. And now here we are, 365 days to flatten the curve. Coming up on the year anniversary of 15 days to flatten the curve. So Event 201 kicked it off. And that was a war game, a dress rehearsal. What to do if a pandemic hit? And they even had pandemic coronavirus pillows they were given out i mean it's crazy if you see the videos of the conference of what how they decided to war game out a global pandemic on a local level in new york then magically in the middle of hong kong riots china decides to uh unleash a virus oops sorry wuhan lab or was it from the wet markets with the bats (laughs) somebody eating bat soup i don't know But as that begins to happen, we lead to impeachment here in America. And then on top of impeachment, that's when suddenly the lockdowns began. And that happened through March. We go through all these months of lockdowns, the riots, Antifa, building up the unrest throughout the country, setting the stage for mail-in voting, and then election day. And what happens They install a leader. We told you on the podcast back in September that mail-in voting is an awful idea. And what ends up happening? Everything comes to fruition. Trump ends up getting screwed. We get an installed leader in Biden. And then they decide to uh, basically ram through 47 executive orders. Everything was going to happen in this direction regardless of what we thought. And that's why there's a big issue with the January 6th uh, protest because the protest itself was fine, but there was some, there was some players in there, Antifa, BLM littered throughout that were helping to kickstart 
the violence that happened that led to the death of Ms. Babbitt. All of that was stuff that was into play to make and vilify the Trump supporters. And now the push is to vilify them as domestic terrorists. But that's why they build a big wall around the, the, you know, the, the Capitol and the White House. That's why they have tons of soldiers camping out. Because the installation of this president isn't real. It, it wasn't legitimate. But they did it anyways, and they knew once he's seated in power for a period of time, then they can come out and tell you, ah, yeah, there were some irregularities, but what do you do? He's in there now. So now they have to push dissent. They have to vilify dissent. So the first thing they have to do is they have to start laying the groundwork, setting the narrative. And CNN actually has this. This is uh, CNN Politics. The Department of Homeland Security issued a threat bulletin due to the ongoing potential for violence in the wake of the presidential inauguration, including concerns that domestic extremists may be emboldened by the attack on the U.S. Capitol. They still call it an attack. It was like uh, a group of older women and, and their Yeti sippy cups filled with Chardonnay, and they're all being brought into the Capitol with police officers who are taking selfies with them outside, and there's some climate activist shaman who's the QAnon shaman, but he doesn't know anything about QAnon. He just kind of plays like he does. And there's cameramen going around taking special photo, photo, professional photo photography of the event all throughout the Capitol. And then there were people beating on the doors, uh, trying to break through. That's when Ms. Babbitt, who was climbing up, got shot by a police officer who didn't even say he was there, didn't say, hey, police, I will shoot nothing. Didn't, didn't announce himself, just sat there waiting, pointed his gun around, and then took her out as soon as she stepped up to the window to climb through. Um, that is supposedly an insurrection, which is funny because when you actually watch the videos, the group that is being ushered in, they're being brought in almost like they were invited by the police into the Capitol building, which AOC and her squad did about a year ago. Um, and that wasn't considered an insurrection. Um, they were stuck at this line. They had put up a barricade inside and wouldn't let them go through until they calmed down and filed in orderly. Well, from behind the guy comes an instigator. Where did he come from? That's where people think there was an inside job to this whole thing. But what they did was they went to pretend like this is some insurrection, but it really wasn't. It was just a protest where some people who jumped in, you know, the, the speech that Trump was giving was 40 minutes away from the Capitol building and the pipe bombs that they found were around the building through closed circuit security camera put down a, the night before. <laughs> so obviously there was some pre-planning to this, but you know, acting DHS secretary David Pekoski, this is back to CNN, issued a national terrorism advisory system bulletin due to heightened threats of environment uh, across the U.S., which the DHS believes will pers persist into the weeks following the inauguration. Quote, information suggests that some ideologically motivated violent extremists with objections to the exercise of governmental authority and the presidential transition, as well as other perceived grievances fueled by false narratives, could continue to mobilize and incite or commit violence, the bulletin reads. Yeah, we're going to show how they've actually come out and totally debunked their own false narratives in just a few minutes. But it seems as though Joe Biden's healing touch of unity, his global campaign of build back better, a.k.a. the Great Reset, I guess it requires 25,000 vetted partisan troops to hang around the Capitol after you installed your leader. Um, they'll be there until late March. The barbed wire fencing, all of that's going to be permanent from what I hear. And it's going to be around the Capitol, too. But remember... When they first started bringing the troops in, they had to vet them. First there was two, and then there was ten, and they were removed because they had ties to right-wing militia. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. This was the Reichstag fire. You know, in Germany, the Reichstag building uh, caught fire, and they used that as a way to consolidate power. They tried to frame the event 
as being some insurrection, you know, kind of like what we're seeing now. Never mind what's happening in D.C. today or over the weekend where they're marching through the streets. And uh, I mean, it's it's pretty, uh, pretty violent there. But yet eh, that's not considered an insurrection. But Ashy Babbitt, who we talked about, the girl that was shot inside the Capitol. Well, the uh, officer's not going to be brought up on charges. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, not a big deal. But what they're doing is they went through her past. They went through uh, some of the others who are new to Congress, like, uh, what's her name? Is Elisa Babbitt. Um, there was also uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And they said, oh, she's QAnon. She likes crazy conspiracies. So she needs to be canceled because the QAnon crowd is who they're targeting now. And what they did to Marjorie Taylor Greene, they removed her from a committee, uh, from all committees, to be honest. And this was because the Democrats decided, yeah, they didn't like what she believed in. Great precedent to set because the left, they don't care about precedents. You know, they don't care about impeaching a president twice, even if he's out of office already. They don't care about any, you know, filibuster, nuclear option. They don't care about precedents. We in the GOP side, oh, we don't want to start something, you know, it's, it's never good if the rabbit's got the gun. We don't want to put ourselves in a position to do what they might use against us because precedent. And then what does the left do? They just freaking do it. They don't care. That's why they win. But she was, Marjorie Taylor Greene was removed from all the committees, even though Kevin McCarthy was fighting against it. Now, we don't have Eric Swalwell, who was banging a Chinese spy while being on the House Permanent Select Committee on intelligence. He's not removed. We don't have Ilhan Omar marrying her brother to conduct immigration fraud and then funneling money to her husband's consulting firm. We don't have Maxine Waters, who was just busted doing the same thing for her husband. Yeah, none of that. Is, is removing any of them from, from any of these committees. But we're having to remove her because I guess she thought the Jews had a laser that started the brush fires in California or something like that. Thomas Massey summed this all up, said, 2021 House of Representatives epitomized. Masked IT security guru ousted D.C. chair registering a proxy vote for a removed-by-impeachment judge now-turned-congressman to strip 30 days newly-duly-elected member of committees because of her use of free speech as a citizen predating her election. That's basically what they did to her. I mean, it's amazing that the left not only knows how to circle their wagons in order to defend their own, regardless of infractions, but they also know how to get the right to reject their own based on pressured purity test you know marjorie taylor green she's a nutter like what they did to sydney powell i mean lynn wood is kind of yeah he's kind of nutty but sydney powell who basically got mike flynn out of the most corrupt situation you could possibly be in she's a nutter she's crazy mike lindell the pillow guy he's nuts because he thinks the election was stolen he's a nutter we don't need him on the gop team he's gonna make us all look crazy and guess what? He was right. <laughs> and with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm not saying I support or, you know, or condemn her either way. But I am saying this is how Trump became a force du jour. I mean, pedophile government? Have we not seen John Weaver from the Lincoln Project <laughs> who was busted grooming men? On a personal note, he actually direct messaged me back in 2016 when I was calling him out for helping uh, John Kasich and how he wouldn't, they wouldn't concede to Ted Cruz and, and be in a Ted Cruz Trump uh, situation. And he, he didn't come at me with anything suggestive, but he did kind of, you know, compliment my podcast and some of the stuff I posted. And, you know, it could have led to that, but it, I thought it was really weird um, that he would do that. But, you know, it's where we are. I mean, look at what happened today. D.C. police. This is from Jared Holt. He is from, uh, he is actually from DFR Lab. He posted this. New D.C. police arrest Ruben Vestergal. I guess, or no, Vesteragli. I don't even know. I, I can't even pronounce his last name. But this guy, Ruben, a former senior digital strateg strategist for the Senate Republican Conference. They arrested him on charges of 
distribution of child pornography resulting from a time span that allegedly included his time at the Senate digital, uh, Senate Republican conference. Hmm. Well, the QAnon people might be right on that one. See, here's the thing about QAnon. They kind of converge with uh, Christianity. Uh, many Christians are actually QAnon supporters because they feel like this is all a part of God's plan. Um, not all Christians are QAnon supporters, and not all QAnon supporters are Christian. But it does converge there. And <laughs> to think that there's not some sort of pedophile government, I don't know. I mean, why is it that the first thing that happened when Biden became president was to stop the border wall, allow illegal immigration to, to happen. He's not putting them in cages. They're calling them nice little detention facilities with flexible walls. Or I don't even know. It's just the same way for calling it a cage. They're just not calling it cages. They just renamed it. But the QAnon people, I don't agree with them on everything. <laughs> but there are some things that I've noticed, you know, one of the things you have to realize with the mainstream media is a lot of times, and it's less these days because they know that if they don't report on something, then the right is going to report on it. And the left can say, see, they're just conspiracy theorists because none of this stuff was reported on. But in the past, some things that the right would uncover or stumble into, they would have to report because if not, they would just destroy their credibility. So they would report it. They would put it out to where nobody really saw it. And then later on down the road, you would look, go, I'm going to look into this situation. Oh, it was reported by Politico or The Hill or you know something like that so that they can turn around and say, see, we did report on it, even though they didn't care to really dig deep into it or to, uh, to headline it or to feature it. But that's what they do. And I was able to, in looking up Nexium, looking up Jeffrey Epstein, Using nothing but left-wing sources. I, anything that had anything to do with QAnon or anything like that, I didn't even, I just rejected it. And I went through nothing but left-wing sources and came to the same conclusion. And you can actually watch the video version of the Nexium special I did on Rumble. Um, and if I post anything video-wise, it's only going to be on Rumble. You're not going to see it. Any, and maybe the, the Roku channel. But yeah, pedophile government? Nah, they might be onto something. Now, holograms, destroyed tunnels of, uh, you know, that are causing seismic earthquakes. Eh, I don't believe that. You know, the ship hospitals, they're rescuing the traffic kids. Do you see it? They're rescuing the kids. Yeah, that wasn't happening. But the fact that somebody derailed a freaking train in California trying to jump the tracks to destroy the USS Comfort. Now, that's crazy. Um, Jewish laser beam used to burn California. Nah, nah. No, that's not it. The whole, you're safe, the lockdown. The lockdown is so that you don't get caught in a false, false flag. That was all BS, okay? Trust the plan. That's what they were all doing. They weren't out there violently attacking people. They were sitting around trusting some plan to unfold with 10 days of darkness and the media and the internet's going to go out and Tom Hanks and Chrissy Teigen, uh, you know, because of the adrenochrome, they were you know, catching babies and killing them and drinking their blood. And, you know, that's all insane. But do I find it odd that pedophile tracking was the immediate border reform and that Tom Hanks was hosting the inauguration? Ah, that seems crazy. There was a commercial about some wellness centers. You can see that this is a coronavirus wellness place because of the label. And it was Lady Gaga, Robert De Niro, Jennifer Lopez, basically every outspoken Trump critic from Hollywood that has been in any sort of capacity was in this commercial. I don't know. It's kind of weird. I mean, <laughs> you know, what they're doing to Marjorie Taylor Greene is what they're hoping to frame the entire movement under. Um, and that's something you have to take into account because they've decided to go, okay, we have found that the QAnon people are crazy, conspiracy theorists. They don't like the government and they were willing to attack the Capitol. We need to make them domestic terrorists. Why? Oh, I don't know. Maybe they can get a FISA warrant, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe they can get Christopher Steele on it. Maybe they can get uh, Christopher Ray to sign off on it. Get John Brennan to call you a domestic terrorist. And I made the joke about, oh, maybe they'll drone strike you. Maybe, the, maybe Joe Biden will drone strike the uh, Boogaloo Boys or whatever they are. I don't even know what they're, they're not even a thing. 
But then an MSNBC reporter decided to say, yeah, we should drone strike him. And again, it's not us saying so, John Hammond. That is a bulletin released to all law enforcement earlier this week that there is until the end of April a persistent threat of domestic extremism, domestic uh, terrorism carried out in the ideology and around this belief that the election um, was fraudulent, that the COVID restrictions are unnecessary. All of those ideologies pushed by Donald Trump. But, but my question for you is around incitement. Um, we had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing um, and in the case of Amr al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11, too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands that the way you root out terrorism is to take on, in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it, how does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? There you go. Maybe Biden can... Drone strike the Boogaloo Boys. I mean, you're going to have more of an opportunity of Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle exploding on the Resolute desk in the Oval Office than having a pipe bomb being set behind impenetrable walls constructed around the nation's capital. I mean, it's too bad we couldn't have taken that sense of urgency to the southern border, but we're not allowed to. And you, if you think I'm lying about this, look at this. The Daily Beast, <laughs> completely... In the tank. Can U.S. spies, agencies, stop white terror? Hmm, what is white terror? What we had here is a failure to communicate. Oh, let me say it like the old. What we have here is failure to communicate. Again, on January 6th, years after numerous investigations and study commissions picked apart the intelligence failures leading up to September 11, 2001 terror attacks, America's security agents uh, agencies were again caught flat-footed when another kind of militant wave, this time pro-Trump fanatics, stormed and trashed the citadel of American democracy. I'm sorry, they trashed their first national uh, church of gov. You know, this is where they all bow down and prostrate, uh, prostrate and, and pray to their dear leader, the president, or the speaker of the house. Democrats in Congress are teeing up another round of investigations commissions to get to the bottom of the January 6th insurrection, the one that they're going around going, January 6th, it's like 1-6-21. You know, this, like it's some September 11th event, which will almost certainly revisit the thorny question of whether the U.S. needs to an independent counter-subversion agencies to infiltrate and neutralize armed domestic extremists who are now more threatening and they're threatening more attacks around the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Kamala, Kamala, whatever. She's the one who was throwing uh, moms in jail because their, their kids, their single moms, their kids were cut in class. You know, the truancy, she's so great. Listen to this lady sing about Kamala Harris and her prosecutorial uh, record. Her name is Kamala. It's someone named Kamala And truly since I've begun To learn all she's done I see she deserves that spot And also I learned it's no, not Kamala So think of it like Kamala Because Kamala She's good for America And popular as she was Well now Kamala's popularity will grow Cause we know how much she's gonna be helping Kamala, think of it like camel toe. Sorry, if I have to hear that, you have to hear it too. I had to take a little sidestep for that. But you know what? Oddly enough, she didn't sing about her uh, giving uh, Willie Brown BJs on the way up to you know her, her rise to the California uh, uh, political party. Um, yeah, but going back, this is from Gateway Pundit. Former CIA director John Brennan calls for a Mao-like public humiliation session for Trump supporters 
before they are accepted back into society. Remember, this is the same guy who spied on Trump and okayed the spying. Yeah, he's basically saying, uh, yeah, Trump supporters, they, they need to be, it's like Katie Couric said, they need to be reprogrammed, re-educated. We can't let them back into society. And in fact, we may need to drone strike them. Thank God for Democrats like Tulsi Gabbard. The mob that stormed the Capitol on January 6th to try to stop Congress from carrying out its constitutional responsibilities were behaving like domestic enemies of our country. But let's be clear. The John Brennans, Adam Schiff's, and the oligarchs in big tech who are trying to undermine our constitutionally protected rights and turn our country into a police state with KGB-style surveillance are also domestic enemies and much more powerful and therefore dangerous than the mob that stormed the Capitol. Now, John Brennan said, So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently of religious, ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. Now, President Biden... I call upon you and all members of Congress from both parties to denounce these efforts by the likes of Brennan and others to take away our civil liberties that are endowed to us by our creator and guaranteed in our constitution. If you don't stand up to these people now, then our country will be in great peril. And she's 100% correct. I mean, if you've listened to my podcast over the years, when I did my Syria uh, special, there's a two-part Syria special that I did back before Trump was even voted into office. And I discovered Tulsi Gabbard because she actually took the time to go to Syria and find out what the heck was going on. I mean, that's kind of what I was doing. I was going, why are we in Syria? What the heck do we even have to do with Syria? She took it upon herself to go over there and look and she came up with the same conclusions I did that we shouldn't be there <laughs> and, and that um, what was happening there was not something we should put our troops in harm's way for. We should not be over there trying to overthrow Assad while we're pretending that Assad's gas and his people when it was actually the extremist, you know, the Islamic extremists that were al-Nusra that were gassing their own people. But you can go back and listen. I've got a two part series on that. Um, but remember, <laughs> Christianity, um, white nationalism is what they're framing. When, whenever you hear somebody talk about white supremacy, white nationalism, they're basically saying Christian, okay? If you can start taking, uh, taking it upon yourself to substitute that phrase when you hear somebody talk about it, um, that's how you're going to understand everything that's going on. That's how they're going to try to vilify anyone who is a conservative into a domestic terrorist. I mean, this is from Politico. It's time to talk about violent Christian extremism. For two decades, the U.S. government has been engaging with faith leaders in Muslim communities at home and around the world in an attempt to stamp out extremism and prevent believers vulnerable to radicalization from going down a path that leads to violence. Now, after the dangerous QAnon conspiracy theory helped motivate the ins insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. I mean, right there. They're sitting around waiting to trust a plan, deciphering what some guy is dropping his Q drops <laughs> and, and trying to figure out what it all means. They're dangerous. And it was an insurrection of old guys with freaking Gadsden flags and old ladies with Yeti cups filled with Moscato bum rushing uh, the doors that the Capitol Police opened and invited them in with. They even, they even filed in single file uh, between velvet ropes. <laughs> That's an insurrection. But anyways, um, going back to the article, um, the conspiracy theory that helped motivate the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol with many participants touting their Christian faith and as evangelical pastors throughout the country art over the spread of the conspiracy theory among their flocks it is very real human toll. It's worth asking whether it's time to have a new wave of outreach to religious communities, this time aimed at evangelical Christians 
quote, I personally feel great burden um, since I came from these communities to try to figure out now how to help the leaders, says Elizabeth Newman, a former top official at the Department of Homeland Security who resigned from the Trump administration in April 2020. The challenge in part is that in this particular case, I don't know if the government is a credible voice at all, she says. You don't want Big Brother calling the local pastor and saying, hey, here's your tips for the week. Right. But that's what they want. Newman, who is raised in an evangelical tradition as a devout Christian, her knowledge of that world and her expertise on issues of violent extremism gives her a unique insight into the ways QAnon is driving some Christians to extremism and violence. She sees QAnon's popularity among certain segments of Christendom not as an aberration, but as the troubling but natural outgrowth of a strain of American Christianity. In this tradition, one's belief is based less on scripture than on conservative culture. Some political disagreements are seen as having nigh-apocalyptic nigh states, and a strong authoritarian streak runs through the faith. This type of believer, love of God, love of country, are sometimes seen as one and the same. Christian's nationalism is a, quote, huge theme throughout the evangel evangelical Christendom, Newman says, referencing the teachings that posit America as God's chosen nation. Christians who subscribe to those teachings believe the United States has a covenant with God. Well, we did. George Washington made the covenant, but we can get into that. And that if it is broken, the nation risks literal destruction. Well, <laughs> we've kind of broken that. And then we got planes flying into buildings, and now look where we are, <laughs> installing presidents and, uh, against the will of the people, ramming through 47 executive orders, most of which go against Christianity. But, you know, hey, wh who am I? Analogous to the siege of Jerusalem in the Hebrew Bible, in the eyes of the believers, that covenant is threatened by cultural changes like taking prayer out of public schools and legalizing abortion and gay marriage, Newman says. Um, so that's why they have to drone strike you, okay? Because you believe in life, you believe in marriage between a man and a woman, you believe that certain things in the Bible that are laid out as what God commands uh, should be followed. Hmm. Kind of crazy idea, isn't it? <laughs> but that's the new take. That's why you have critical race theory being taught in businesses, being taught in schools, being taught uh, in, in organizations, NGOs, what have you, in government organizations, because to frame the Christian, the white male Christian, as being the evil uh, uh, tyrant, the evil uh, terrorist, that's where they're going next. That's where this is all heading. And you can't even uh, plow your neighbor who might be a leftist. You can't plow their, their driveway if it snows in as a Trumpite. Listen to this from the Los Angeles Times. What can you do about the Trumpites next door? Oh, heck no. The Trumpites next door to our pandemic getaway, who seem as devoted to the ex-president as you can get without being Q fans, just plowed our driveway without being asked and did a great job. How am I going to resist demands for unity in the face of this act of aggressive niceness? Of course, on some level, I realize I owe them thanks. And man, it really looks like the guy backdragged the driveway like a pro. But how much thanks? These neighbors are starch partisans of blue lives, and there aren't a lot of anything other than white lives in the neighborhood. This is also kind of weird. Most likely it's a white person writing this. Back in the city, people don't sweep other people's driveways for nothing. Maybe it's like Eddie Murphy discovered in the old Saturday Night Live sketch, White Like Me. He goes undercover in white makeup and finds that when white people are among their own, they pop free champagne and live the high life. Um, actually, maybe it's just you haven't had conservative neighbors. <laughs> you haven't had neighbors that are Christian. You've always lived with self-centered leftists. So you probably never had your driveway uh, shoveled for nothing. You've never had somebody help you fix your car for no reason at all and no questions asked and nothing wanted in return because that's what we do. But that's how much they hate conservatives. That's how much they hate Christians. And they want you to admit that there was no election fraud with the fervor of you know some sort of uh, Salem witch. You know We're going to throw you in the river. And if you sink... Well, you were probably 
it's somebody who thinks the election was stolen. And if you float, well, then you're a heretic. It needs to be burned at the stake. You can't win. And Time Magazine, this is what I was talking about earlier, and a lot of people covered this. You know, one of the things I do in my podcast is I don't want to cover things that I hear a lot of the talk radio people and podcasters that are on higher levels that have more followers, more listenership than I. Um, I try not to parrot everything that they've covered. You know, I try to find the things in, in the news that I think are important that isn't being looked at as heavily as it should because it interests me, not because I want to sound like everybody else. But there's one article that has been uh, talked about quite a bit that I actually wanted to talk about because it's important. Um, the fact that after they sat there and fortified the Capitol, fortified the White House with barbed wire and tons of military and said that the election was not stolen, which we talked about quite a bit, they out themselves after the fact. Because now that he's in office, you can't pull him out. Time Magazine, the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. A weird thing happened right after the November 3rd election. Nothing. The nation was braced for chaos. Liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets, planning hundreds of protests across the country. Right-wing militias were girding for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead as people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. No mention of coronavirus, social distancing, or mask wearing, but, you know, that would be the case if it was a Trump victory. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reserve the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede to the president something felt amiss. It was all very, very strange, Trump said on December 2nd. Within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner, even while many key states were being counted. In a way, Trump was right. There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that had both curtailed the protest and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a support, uh, a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protest in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. The forces of labor came together with the forces of capital. That's what we've been talking about for ages, that a Chinese-style pseudo-capitalism is what is being forced. And this is what they're talking about in Davos, the stakeholder uh, capitalism, the stakeholder uh, where it's not the shareholders who have financial interest in business. It's not the business leaders who have financial, financial interest to an going concern with their company. It is towards the stakeholder, somebody who is just on the sidelines that may be impacted by the negative externalities of a business in its day to day, the pollution it puts out, uh, the, the treatment it gives to its employees, whether it hires the diverse styled staff or whatever garbage. That's what we're looking at. And that's where they're trying to push America, which this will eliminate competition. You won't be able to have the ability to enter the marketplace barrier of entry is going to be huge if even possible and the businesses are looking for this because they get two perks out of this an inability to fail because if they start to fail government's going to bail them out so they got a nice little safety net and in doing so the government destroys competition keeping the market share for the business like an amazon you know they're not going to see any sort of competitor down the road and that's where all of this is going, where the government has a hand, has its, has its fist in the back pocket of these businesses, and you're left to just deal with the outcomes, the lack of competition, the lack of the ability to enter the marketplace. All that's going to go away. 
Back to the article, the handshake between the businesses and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring that it would be free and fair, credible and uncorrupted, which it was completely corrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attack from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Yeah, he didn't get into office. Uh, He wasn't installed bringing 25,000 troops and signing 47 executive orders on day one. (laughs) Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separated from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines. Oh, with what? Like the pedophile uh, project, the Lincoln Project with John Weaver and Rick Wilson. Um, but with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors, the scenario the shadow campaigners were uh, desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all, a failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been the hallmark of America since its founding. No, it has to do with mail-in voting there, guys. (laughs) You can't just dump votes in the middle of the night. Um, You can't just uh, have dead people vote. You know, you can't have uh, illegals vote. Gateway Pundit. Has this posted on the same day? The TCF Center election fraud newly discovered video shows late night deliveries of tens of thousands of illegal ballots eight hours after the deadline. So we know election fraud happened and we know that they're trying to frame conservatives as domestic terrorists because we will be the stopgap. We will be the wedge that keeps big business from uh, being symbiotically married to government to destroy Freedom, liberty, free markets, and capitalism in general. So keep that in mind. This is where it's all heading. This is what Davos is all about. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart, uh, Overcast. Check out the Roku channel in your in your Roku store. And uh, check out the, the blog, adrianslade.com. We'll see you guys.